1: You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action.
2: Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanillo with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. Lots to get to this morning. As Andrew says, another dismal print on jobless claims, nearly $3.2 million for the week. But uh, futures green as the theme of stabilization in April continues in earnings from PayPal, Square, Grubhub and some others. Oil is on pace for its best week ever, up more than 30 percent for the week, now above 26 and Jim Moderna is going to be a talking point this morning. FDA approval for phase two trial of its vaccine candidate, MRNA 1273.
1: Why right, do you now, want to begin? They're ready for uh, beginning of June. They're talking about phase three. Uh, I love the confidence. There was a time where if you did that, the FDA would really call you out. They say, you know, basically, how dare you plan phase three? You got to get phase two done. This is a sign, once again, that the level of FDA meaning business is extraordinary. Uh, The time that it takes to do these things is being at a level that no one has ever seen. Uh, Remember, mumps, the longest to uh, fruition, four years. This thing is happening so rapidly and they're talking about scaling if it's good. So there's reasons for optimism. I know Moderna, I interviewed I was the first person to uh, interview them. You know, these guys are scientists, all right? And they're using Amazon web services to basically if you wanted to look at like what a bank would do, what a bank robber would do, you have to keep turning until you get the right combo. That's what Amazon web services does for those. So I mean, it's an out al- that David will love us. It's an algorithmic play. And uh, maybe that's the way of the world. I, I was thinking that the way that we go would be J&J or Pfizer. But if Moderna can do it, you know that we're going higher.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk to Meg Terrell in just a moment, Jim. But does this deserve to be uh, a focal point? Uh, as Fauci suggested, uh, are they in the pole position?
1: I think it is a vocal point. I I know that Fauci, I mean, there's some new thing, a revelation about Fauci that I've been hearing about from the right. But I've got to tell you, Fauci liked this. He's not supposed to like anything. This is the second thing he's liked. The first one was the remdesivir compared to AZT. Uh, I have felt not to get bullish on a vaccine until Fauci said get bullish, meaning that wait till next year. Fauci's sticking his neck out here. Uh, I, I think it's impressive that he's sticking his neck out. And when, I, when you see these guys, I mean, they're, this is their world. This is RNA world. And I know that J&J is fabulous. I know that the Pfizer guys are incredible. The Oxford guys are great. But what, these guys are – they are in pole position. There is a fabled uh, – um, video going around about the Kentucky Derby with a lot of uh, different named horses. The one that one is not uh, is too scatological for TV, but let's just say Moderna has it going. I'm surprised. I I, I I don't know what the odds are, David, but this thing is just flying.
3: Yeah. Well, I want to hear more about those odds from Meg Carl. So I think she may be available. Let's uh, let's let's bring her in, right? Yeah. Yep,
2: let's 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 do Meg on the on that <laughs> end, Remdesivir looking at approval in Japan. Morning, Meg.
4: Good morning, Carl. A lot of news coming, and Moderna, as part of announcing its quarterly results this morning, giving that update um, on the planned trials for its vaccine, uh, saying that the FDA did give the go-ahead just yesterday to begin the phase two trial, um, and also saying that they're finalizing the protocol for the phase three trial, which they now expect to begin in early summer. Um, they say, based on these timelines, if all goes well, potential regulatory approval in 2021. Uh, Stefan Bonsell, the CEO on the call this morning talking about that acceleration of timelines. Take a listen to what he said.
1: Today, we are very happy to announce that we received yesterday clearance from the FDA to proceed with phase two. It's just nine days from filing our IND, on Monday, April 27th, the FDA gave us a green light. We intend to start the clinical trial as soon as safely possible.
4: And so, guys, the next thing that we're waiting for is the readout of the phase one trial. Uh, those results should be available, we hope, anytime time now. Uh, and that will be the first human trial data on a vaccine for COVID-19. And just to remind you about these timelines, they only began that phase one trial in the middle of March. And as Jim pointed out, they're already accelerating their timelines for beginning the phase three. Just in the end of April, they were forecasting that was going to start in the fall. Now they're saying the phase three could start at the beginning of the summer. So these timelines are just getting incredibly compressed uh, and it's really amazing to watch. But, of course, this is a new technology, a new virus. And so there are going to be a lot of questions as this proceeds. guys.
1: Meg, I am uh, aghast. We know that there are many vaccines out there and you've covered them where once you start giving them to uh, healthy people, Things really go wrong. And there are people, you know, sometimes they used to say, we got to give them for a year before we know something going wrong." This is the shortest time frame. Is there concern that perhaps they are breaking the longstanding rules of the FDA that you should not give someone an illness, a healthy person, an illness that could kill them? Uh, Because it sounds like that this is almost a Manhattan Project in itself.
4: Yes, that's a really good point, Jim. There have been instances before, specifically with dengue vaccines recently, where giving the vaccine actually made the disease worse when people encountered it. Uh, So that is a concern here um, with vaccines, especially with the new technology. You know, I have been talking with a lot of people in the industry who say, Yes, it's very exciting how fast this messenger RNA technology can move, but don't count out the tried and true technologies from companies like Johnson & Johnson uh, and Merck, which we haven't heard as much about, but we did have Ken Frazier on last week saying they are in the vaccine race as well. And they're just typically quieter about their communications, but we shouldn't count out those big companies because their timelines right now don't seem as fast. Um, so there are definitely concerns, and every time I talk with Moderna or anybody else in this space, I ask them how much time do we need to know that these vaccines are safe, since it's a new technology. Um, you know, they seem to think they can get that information within these time periods, but I think there are still questions, of course.
3: And Meg, it's David. Um, as you pointed out, we've never dealt with timelines like this. The market, obviously, and investors overall, not to mention all of humanity, very focused on it. <laughs> um, what about manufacturing? You know, we heard from Pfizer as well, maybe something sooner than we had thought, perhaps. But again, manufacturing at scale seems to be such an important part of this. Can Moderna do that? Uh, can Pfizer do that? When we talk about these timelines, are we really talking about getting to that point where you actually would have enough doses available for people around the world?
4: Yeah, it's a hugely important question. And actually, in in Rick Bright's whistleblower complaint, the the BARTA director uh, who was removed from his job earlier this week, he detailed concerns about the supply of things like vials, syringes and needles. All of those things that you're gonna be needing to supply vaccine to millions or even billions of people if and when we have a vaccine ready. So I've been checking with companies, you know, is that a problem? Are they worried about that? And these companies with you know huge manufacturing capacity say no, you know, based on our projections that we've given, we are able to provide. Pfizer, for example, hundreds of millions of doses next year. Moderna has said with its new partner, Lanza, they aim to be able to supply up to a billion doses per year. However, we don't know how soon they could get to that threshold. But you're asking such an important question. Uh, You know, Merck put it this way. They're being asked to shorten development timelines by unprecedented amounts and increase manufacturing capacity by unprecedented amounts all at the same time. So these are going to be huge challenges. We're going to watch them try to solve in real time.
1: Uh, Moderna, uh, I met him when they uh, they came to the J.P. Morgan conference two years ago. You and I were there, Meg. And they were sitting on the sidelines. I went up to the guy. I didn't know he was a real guy. And I said, how you doing? He said, I got this thing called Moderna. I said, oh, yeah, I remember you went IPO. He said, well, I good. It, this company, it, it, it reminds me, if I were Pfizer, uh, if I were J&J, they're literally – Butch and Sundance. Like, who are these guys? And and, uh, could you please tell people how this is a different sort of drug company? This is not a traditional drug company. This is a computer-driven company.
4: Certainly, Moderna does use uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning to be able to speed up their discovery process. And we do hear about this from a lot of different companies. All drug companies are using that in some way. Uh, to speed up their discovery. Moderna is a very interesting company. You know, they were founded by flagship pioneering venture capital firm with this idea that messenger RNA uh, would present an entirely new way of delivering medicines, um, essentially delivering the genetic materials to the body to then have the body's own cells make the medicines in essence. Um, So, it's an amazing technolo- technological idea, but critics point out this has never been approved before. So that's important to remember. It's, there's a ton of promise and excitement, but it needs to be proven.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, we're, look, j and J's is great. I was thinking to the scientist who's running the trial up at Harvard. I mean, the guy's such a heavyweight, made me feel like an idiot. I, I don't know what he actually intended to, perhaps. Uh, the guys at Moderna, it's like a little shop. I mean, it would be unbelievable if the little shop. This, these guys are David and the other guys are Goliath. And I don't know, I'm, I'm putting my money on David. David, are you putting your money on David? Always, always. I still, I still believe, Jim. You do? All right. Well, this would yeah. be amazing. I've got to tell you, Meg, without a proof of you uh, that this thing works, that would be something. I don't want people to get their hopes up, but this would be something. Wow. Almost makes you want to buy an airline. We all
4: have to hope it works.
1: You know, I'm thinking about buying Hertz. <laughs> what do you think, David, Hertz on this I one? I, Maybe a cruise ship. Buy
3: the bonds. Buy, buy the bonds. Uh, Hertz bonds. You got the sub-debt <laughs> trading at 14 to $0.15. Cents. You can buy the senior debt yesterday. I think the senior bonds at around $0.36. Cents. Don't right. buy the stock. Buy the bonds, Jim. If all you're right, going to buy Hertz. My real,
1: play that instead of Moderna is what you're telling me. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to take a break. Uh, there's a lot to get to this morning, including uh, results from Square, Lyft, Hilton, Beyond Meat, Peloton, Costco, obviously, Viacom, Etsy, Fox. We'll get to all of that and talk about uh, claims, which once again came with the with rough print of more than uh, three million people. Back in a moment.
5: What's on the horizon for financial markets? Welcome back. A
2: lot of results to get to uh, on this Thursday morning, Jim. You seem to have a special place in your heart for those uh, who are still trying to short uh, Beyond Meat or Lyft or some of these others.
1: Going against Beyond Meat, going against history. Uh, And not just because I had an unbelievable cheeseburger last night that they gave me. Uh, The reason why uh, there's a guy named Dr. Willett, he's the foremost uh, nutritionist and epidemiologist up at Harvard. Everybody's foremost, I know, in this in this era. But this guy actually was predicting a pandemic basically because of the food chain. And Beyond Meat is now an ethos. We played the, I played a tape about how McDonald's said it's a bit of a hobby. Uh, Ethan Brown did not go for that. I think the more important thing is the Starbucks relationship in China. I think they're going to they can make a deal with Starbucks. I mean, this is how powerful this concept is. Those who betting against this because it has too much sodium, go check the sausages. They don't. I really believe that what's happening in in a lot like Zoom when it comes to staying at home. The Tyson story, which obviously is abysmal, plus a, a sense that maybe the wet markets uh, are part of the problem with the, with the food chain. It's all going beyond meat's way. And what is Beyond Meat doing? They're cutting prices. So, so the price of meat's gonna go up for the regular meat, and the protein that skips the whole meat chapter is going to do well. Beyond meat, it's one of the most dangerous shorts in this market.
2: You talked to Ethan Brown last night on Mad. Here's what he said.
0: We've reached the point where there's so many livestock on the Earth's surface uh, that we're running into uh, challenges with keeping that system working, and that supply chain is now, as many in the industry themselves have said, is under enormous pressure. So I think we are reaching a tipping point.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Look, I mean, before I became Jimmy Chill, I would have said, you know what? What really is wrong here? They'll never make it because what's happened is food service is kind of dead because of what's happened with the economy and, and, and what's happened with the shutdown. The retail demand here is so strong. He is trying hard to keep up with demand. Now, I know my skeptical friend and notice I use air quotes friend. My skeptical friend, David Faber, will say, Jim, it's still a very small company. Well, David, so was Amazon. So was Facebook. So was Alphabet. Really? Yeah. That, that monumental is the opportunity for this company. I think that this food, the, the total adjustable market for food, I mean for beef, for pork, for chicken, is monster. And I think that this is, I think McDonald's is dead wrong. There's no hobby here. The hobby is going to end up being Meat. Particularly if we start get we hear more stories about the food chain. I think the pandemic is saying start eating plant based. Now, you may say that that's pie in the sky. And you know what? Pound sand. It's real. The move is real. Is there a chance we run
3: out of we run out of pea slurry or something like that, though? I mean, is is that in
1: question or there's an endless amount of peas? Endless, David, Endless. Remember, there's a glitch in eating protein and the glitches that it goes through an industrial cow. Yeah. I used to have a longhorn, David. I don't want anything going through that beast in my plate. I'm getting fed up myself. Have You I might go vegan. Have you sworn off? Have you sworn off meat? Have you? Are you going to do that? I had a T-bone on Sunday. It's pretty good. Mm. But uh, but got, pretty good, but I, I can swear off meat because yeah. I'm tired of the idea that when you go to a meat packing facility, the question is how much how much uh, COVID is in the place. I'm tired of COVID. That's kind of a universal We're all tired of COVID. Universal So pre-set. so is uh, yes. yeah.
2: So is uh, Smithfield Foods, oh. uh, which is going to reopen Sioux Falls after three weeks closed. Uh, the world's biggest pork processor. Uh, the ag secretary yesterday, Jim, did say he sees full capacity back in a week to 10 days. So uh-huh. there's going to be a fight about how much Beyond Meat can lower their prices and maintain margin as the meat industry tries to get back. But you're a believer. We know that
1: by now. I am. And the people who are behind this thing, they see what's going on. There's less sodium. The sausages, by the way, which are quite good, now have less sausage, they-, uh, f- uh, they less fat. Uh, and, and less sodium than the regular sausage. So Ethan Brown is constantly improving things. He's doing everything he can. Don't forget, Impossible's got GMOs. Younger people do not like GMO. This is going to be a very big company. Uh, is he Tesla? No. And like someone said, Jim, he's not Amazon. Come on. I'm just saying No. It just starts like this. You've got an evangelist, all right, an evangelist that makes real good stuff, and you've got younger people who don't understand the concept of the industrial cow. They're looking at these cruise ships where they where they uh, make the meat. Where they? Oh no, they're not cruise ships. They're plants, and and, and they're saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I see the stuff in my store, and when it becomes cheaper, which it is, it's going to come right through the price of regular beef. I think the adoption is going to be strong. Yes, I am a believer, and I'm a believer in the stock. I am not a skeptic. At one point, I was very skeptical. Okay. But then I got young. I was Uh, so much older when I hated it. I'm younger than that now, David.
3: (laughs) That was a song. I know it was. Jim, listen. I would remind people that when you become an evangelist on stocks, on certain stocks, oftentimes you end up being correct. Shopify is a name you've been talking about for years, and it is now the largest market cap company I believe out of Canada at over eighty-five billion. Who created the concept Fang? uh, About an eighty percent. Remember
1: who was was the Fang guy? I'm just being.
3: Um, My head's so. I remember. I mean, I'm only a. I'm only a friend in air quotes, so really I have no <laughs> memory of the. Because you told me you don't like anybody.
1: I used to think you, until you said I don't really like anybody. I thought I was your friend. Take your uh, you're clothes off the counter, time. Will again. you? Once again,
3: once again, you are misquoting me. Out of context, incorrect.
1: All right. Well, that's uh, okay. been done. Okay, but let's. That's um, kind, of a, kind of a yeah. I've seen that done. All right.
3: Mhm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got ten minutes till we get an opening bell, guys. We're also going to be talking to Greg Hayes, of course. Uh, the CEO of uh, the old United Technologies. It's now Raytheon uh, as well. RTX, the symbol there, having reported earnings. We're going to certainly want to hear what Mr. Hayes has to say about the current environment. More Squawk in the Street coming
5: right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Very uh, large movers, pre-market Viacom's up 14, PayPal's up 10, peloton up 19 futures are green but can they hold on this thursday we'll find out when we get the opening bell in just about uh, seven minutes
3: welcome back time for a mad dash as we get you ready for the opening bell about four minutes from now a lot of earnings to talk about this morning uh and the stocks of course related to them let's start off with bristol myers for the mad dash here jim
1: david bristol myers surprises Surprises all over the place. Key lines, Eloquist, which is the anti-stroke drug, much better than expected. And then Revlimid, which is the drug that got from Celgene, much better than expected. What I do want to say about Eloquist, which is the real driver here. A lot of people feel the driver is uh, Optivo, which is anti-cancer. Eloquist is the superior stroke drug. When when my father had a stroke, there were many different stroke drugs at work and that you had to choose from them. Well, the one that is now becoming the standard and make it 100% of the market is Eloquist. That's the driver. People don't talk about it. I can't wait to sit down with Dr. Caforio, who is, you know, he's the unsung genius. Uh, he's put together this great deal. Uh, now, y- you're going to find sellers. They're all over the place. But this is maybe the least expensive, 10 times earnings, 3% yield of the major pharmas because people don't believe in gene that he bought and they don't believe the fact that the company has a big patent cliff, I believe. I genuinely believe in Bristol Myers. Amongst the group, is it one of your favorite names, Jim? Indeed it is, uh, because, well, the group has so much game. I mean, it's hard. Novartis is, is, is on the far turn and looks for and then J&J is behind, and then Dr. Fowler. I mean, there really is. These companies are doing so much good. But Bristol Myers is not in the race for covid OK, it's not been their strength. GlaxoSmithKline, right. J&J, uh, Pfizer, yep. it, they're all in the, in the hunt. Bristol is just doing its thing. Uh, the the merger is a good one. Those who are against the merger, I think you have to rethink just like the people who have to rethink the merger with Allergan and AbbVie. Now that you can get your uh, you know, go see your dermatologist. So these were two great combinations. They're working. I approve.
3: Yeah, AbbVie, Allergan, likely to close tomorrow. Lilly, though, is the best performer in that group that I see, at least Dave amongst Ricks. what we used to call Big Pharma.
1: Dave Ricks yeah. is doing so much right. Quietly, Indiana, stocks doubled. People didn't believe his RA drug. People thought his diabetes franchise could be attacked. Uh, he is doing so much good. And by the way, he understands the system better than anyone. We ask people, say, who really represents Pharma in a way that is quietly the smartest And they always they always go to Ricks, even though Gorsi doing a great job at J&J. Ricks is the gold standard right now because he's non-promotional, really good uh, and very understanding of the system. Tremendous guy. You'd like him. Good guy. I would. I'm sure I I listen
3: to him whenever he comes on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like him. Um, He always says he doesn't really want to. uh, He wants to be interviewed by me and not as much you, but that's okay.
3: Yeah, well, that tends to be the case with a lot of these people who you somehow convince of that. Not sure why you do or why you're successful in doing so.
1: But we like to share, too. Come on. We do, including Greg Hayes, whom you booked. I don't want to take credit for that.
3: (laughs) We're always happy to have Mr. Hayes on. Carl, as we get close to an opening bell here, of course, people do need to keep in mind those unemployment claims this morning. Uh, I don't know. What's the full number that we're up to at this point, Carl?
2: It's $33.5 million, uh, over, I think, seven weeks. Uh, so you tack on another $3.169 million. this week. There's the opening bell. Eric Millen is the NYSC facility supervisor at the NASDAQ, ringing the bell remotely. It is uh, GAN Limited, a gambling software provider, celebrating its IPO. Um, David, we got to talk some media. Uh, Viacom subs up 50, uh, best month for streaming so far. Uh, This new deal with YouTube, that was a double-digit gain or pre-market.
3: Yeah, uh, the stock is opening up about 12% this morning. Of course, it has been nothing but pain for those shareholders, as uh, we know well and they know well, Uh, really ever since the deal was announced and the cash flow numbers have come down. But this was a good quarter for Viacom, at least based on the expectations. As you point out, they did generate almost half a billion in free cash flow, very different than last quarter. Uh, The advertising, you got to take the Super Bowl out for the comparison the same way you got to take it out for Fox because Fox had it this year uh, in this quarter. Uh, And when you do, ads looked okay. I did speak to Bob Backish earlier this morning, of course, the CEO of the company. We talked about the advertising market. He said, listen, we're going to see significant impact in the second quarter on advertising, but he is hopeful the third and fourth quarters are going to show up better. He did point out. That uh, in May and June and May so far, and his expectations are for June, the scatter market for ads is looking better, certainly than it did uh, in April. We're dealing with such an unprecedented time here in so many industries, including this one, the lack of an upfront. You know, everybody would be having their upfront right now. Um, uh, booking their advertising for much of the year. That is not happening. We're going to hear from the NFL later today on the fall schedule, but that's just the normal fall schedule. He did tell me that they are in constant conversation with the NFL about what the season's going to potentially look like at this point. Uh, And he did tell me he believes the NFL is very much focused on playing. Exactly what that's going to mean. Well, we're going to have to wait uh, to see. Does he expect more cord cutting? Absolutely. We've seen it. We continue to see it in terms of people signing off, going with the broadband, going with the YouTube TV, which is on behind me. It's a big delay behind me as well. But they do sign a new carriage agreement with YouTube in June. uh, uh, The Viacom, key Viacom networks are going to be available on that. The fees are the same that they would be for the regular distributors. So that is seen as a positive. And then overall streaming, you mentioned it, Carl. Pluto, their free platform, 24 million MAUs. This is all domestic, by the way. And then CBS All Access and Showtime. They don't split it up for you, but 13.5 million, that did look like a pretty good number as well. So a positive response this morning to Viacom's numbers. Um, Local ads continue to be hard hit. Fox talked about it. Viacom will talk about it. You know, your local advertising, restaurants auto dealerships and the like, they're just not going to be there in terms of ads. Certainly weren't there in April, probably not in May as well.
2: Remarkable. Uh, There's Fox uh, 2 guys, which talked about uh, ad revenue going down 50. But even as, Jim, the NASDAQ is now green for 2020.
1: Look, this is nothing short of incredible. There are so clearly two markets. Uh, there are companies that are actually uh, doing OK or actually. Ve- uh, I don't want to say benefiting because it sounds too uh, uh, mercenary, but you take a stock like PayPal. I mean, they're just doing much better because of the way people buy things during a pandemic pandemic. I mean, it, it's really incredible uh, when you look at an Etsy. I have I have uh, Etsy on today. Uh, That stock is down four. Uh, It wouldn't shock me if it's up by the end of the day, because it is about how great things have done since the pandemic started. Uh, It is a weird world that the Nasdaq is filled with companies that are Zoom like where where you just get you you, you just have such good numbers. And, And so I mean, I think it's just two economies. There's the economy that does well and the economy and healthcare. And the economy does poorly. And I think people who are looking at the stock market and think that we're nuts because of the pandemic. Remember, the stock market's made of companies like Zoom and made of companies like PayPal, made of companies like Microsoft, of Amazon. And these are companies that are doing terrifically in this market. And then there's travel and leisure and industrial and uh, retail and restaurant, and they're not doing well. So uh, and obviously we're not trading uh, hair salons here right? We're not trading locksmiths. Uh, we're not trading little uh, boutique coffee shops. So uh, it is not, it, it, it mystifies so many people. But it shouldn't if you just look at the makeup. And it's why the S&P is not the right index to be in. Because the S&P has a lot of these companies that do quite poorly in a pandemic. Uh, there are so many winners. We had we saw about $13 trillion in winners in the S&P at, uh, out of a total of about $27, uh, 27 trillion. So just keep in mind, the right. market's not made up of companies that fail under a pandemic.
3: No, but, we are, but we, are made, we are a consumer-led economy, Jim. And to the extent that the consumer is not there to participate in a full manner, that eventually trickles through to everything, yeah, but including our companies even are worldwide. Microsoft's customers as well,
1: right? I yeah, mean, but they're international. And David, if you want to know, Mr. President, hold your ears. If you want to know uh, how you really come through with numbers right here, you come through with numbers from China. The technology stocks that do business in China, they are on fire. So anytime you hear that the trade people from our country are talking to the trade people from China, you may loathe the PRC. But Oh, man, the numbers that you're getting out of China. And then Fang in general. Well, Facebook's not China, but it's made up for uh, what you do when you're sitting at home. Amazon, how many things did you buy? I I, I bought, like, socks and detergent uh, during the intermissions, okay? I mean, it's incredible. Netflix, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, what part of Netflix are you watching this weekend? We're pathetic. Alphabet, it's just great when you're at home and you're a kid and you're you're cheating on your schoolwork with, with Alphabet. I mean, these are the companies that are made for this environment microsoft i don't know
2: apple well look at look at peloton guys
1: peloton this morning
2: uh since the ipo since the ipo it's up 69 percent over a similar period s&p's essentially flat Uh, sales up 66 jim i mean there was a time where people (laughs) didn't believe that it was that the elitist uh character of the product could ever be shaken Uh, it's an ecosystem as we said yesterday, the market came right in its direction.
1: Yeah, they're talking about, I mean, they're talking about a treadmill, but this is this is one where uh, Heather Gaines, who's key on my uh, May Money team, uh, put one, an order in. They're talking about late June. I, I mean, Moderna is going to get its results before you can get a thing about Peloton. This thing's incredible. The gyms are not going to. How many gyms can open social distance? And wipe down. I mean, how many gy- How many people can go to Lifetime? You know about A and B, right? David, your kid does it. Is your kid going to be an A or B? That's the big thing people are talking about. A goes to school, B does at home. I mean, you're going to have to go to a gym. And when you go to a gym, you're going to have to take a number or you know, be assigned a number. And I don't know what you do if you own five Planet Fitness uh, uh, franchises. What do you do? So you buy a Peloton. And you just you, know, I don't know. You you crush it. You crush everybody else. Peloton made for this environment. Really good conference call, by the way. Yeah. A fabulous conference call. Yeah, you know, really it's good. funny, Jim. We've talked about how
3: the crisis has accelerated the down the 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 down move for so many businesses. Yes. Retail, of course, being the key one that we've talked about. But in this case, it seems to have accelerated sort of the adoption. Um, that might have taken place over the
1: next four to five years in really what may be four to five months. And wait till they open but get back to there, where I bought my wife from Peloton. The clothes are off, David, of my wife on Peloton, not herself. I made that kind of ill-fated error last time on the show. I, <laughs> yes. I, I, it, we're moving the, I'm moving the Peloton to the beach house <laughs> where, she's, uh, where she's sequestered because right. of this quarantine. Uh, I, I get yeah. to see my wife this weekend. I think it could be interesting. Uh, I remember what she looks like. You know, I always thought it was dynamite. You hear a lot to say that about your wife. I think so. Uh, but, yeah, we're That's bringing the, nice she's bring the Peloton. Say. Yeah. Because she want, you can't go to the gym. The gym is considered to be like an airplane. It's like a cruise ship. I have Norwegian on tonight. That was a plug. That will be interesting to
3: hear. Um, so you guys, to so many different numbers to... Uh, uh, yes, I watch. I watch. You know. Yeah. It's on yeah. all day long now. Yeah, I know. It never stops, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Um, you're always, I'm always home to watch now. It's funny. And to just endlessly take useless phone calls. But um, I did spend a lot of time... Yesterday afternoon, as I know you did, talking about some of the earnings that came out, including T-Mobile. I watched Mike Sievert, of course, join uh, Sarah and Wilf on the on the closing bell. That stock is up sharply uh, this morning, along with so many in media. We mentioned Viacom earlier, um, but seven hundred and seventy seven thousand branded postpaid net additions, uh, which was the best in the industry. Look at that um, stock. Y- Yeah. stock. talking about a pleasure. lot of positives is that at this point. Legacy? Well, some would say it is. He is no longer a part of the company, uh, John Ledger, but it is now Mike Sievert's company. And listen, he's saying all the right things in terms of delivering on the synergies of the Sprint deal that they waited so long to, uh, to close and on margins. We'll see whether they can actually deliver, Jim, uh, as, as he continues to say they will. But the stock is responding very positively. You see that this morning with the overall tone as well. Uh, Back to media, Fox is up 8.2%. Again, sort of the positive commentary, at least to a certain extent, at least based on expectations from the call in terms of the ad market. Local is terrible, but they're seeing sort of national things are changing, but they're not that bad. And this belief that football and sports is going to somehow come back. Uh, Certainly football, which I know you're very focused on. We're all very focused on. Bob Backers from Viacom said... They're ready to engage with them whenever they want about doing a new deal. But that hasn't
1: yet happened. They're they're talking about testing the players right before uh, the players will be sequestered in hotels uh, and it will be uh, remarkable fanless. Now, a stock that's not moving up is Raytheon, David. Raytheon Technologies. So we got to find out what's going on. Why don't we bring in the person who runs the new Raytheon, uh, which is the uh, part of the old United Technologies and the old Raytheon. And I thought the quarter was very good. I want to speak to Greg Hayes, CEO. Uh, Greg, uh, you're no stranger. Welcome
0: back to Squawk on the Street. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim.
1: All right. So what would have happened had you just kept United Technologies Aerospace by itself without merging it with Raytheon? What kind of discussion would we have? Would it be with Mnuchin? Would it be with uh, (laughs) J-PAL?
0: Look, um, the aerospace businesses, the, the legacy Collins and Pratt businesses, they're going to have uh, have a tough year. Um, we're going to see sales probably down fifty percent or so on the commercial aero side. Keep in mind, though, that both of those businesses have a pretty solid defense portfolio as well, about thirty percent of their businesses. So, you know, we weren't going to go bankrupt if we stood on our own. We would have probably been close to break even for the year from an earnings standpoint, but we certainly wouldn't have been uh, looking uh, to get a handout from the government. Um, Yeah, it's good franchises. Uh, The business doesn't go away, but it's a it is a uh, it's a tough time in commercial aerospace, as everybody knows.
1: Yeah, but can you talk about the defense side, which I find is very interesting because defense is holding up. Uh, You pick up the Patriot missile, which has always had good sales, but frankly, the gross margins have been wanting. Uh, What can you do about that in order to be able to make it so that you take really unbelievable technology and, and start making more money with it?
0: Well, look, I think the the key with the, the merger of, of Raytheon and UTX was a technology merger as well as a talent merger. Um, you know, we come into this merger between the two companies with about $70 billion of defense backlog. Uh, I think you know we've got a good track record on the UTX side of driving cost reduction. You know, if you think about the, the engine for the Joint Strike Fighter, uh, we've built, uh, I think we just delivered the 500th fighter. Uh, and that engine cost has come down from 20 million to about $10 million an engine and the margins have gone up. And you know, we're going to bring that same discipline uh, to all of the Raytheon businesses. We've got solid businesses. Some of them are a little bit more challenged from a margin standpoint, as you said. But again, I think as we, we think about the talent that we bring together, uh, we'll have the opportunity to do more on supply chain to find savings there, as well as to bring more automation to the factories. We should point out, you know, we've got 195,000 employees across Raytheon Technologies, and about 95,000 of those folks are working from home. But I've got another 100,000 that are still showing up to work every day uh, to build product and to support customers. And you know, it's been a, it's been a challenge to to get everybody there. But we were trying to keep them safe. We're providing PPE, uh, and I just like to say thanks to all of those folks for for uh, supporting the customers. This is a, this is tough, but. Over the long term, you know, we'll take cost out and, you know, we'll get margins up across the business. I think we've got, as I think you, you know, we, we've, we've tried to simplify the organization, the old Raytheon organization. We've got a missiles and defense business headed by Wes Kramer and an intelligence and space business uh, uh, headed by Roy Azevedo. And those guys are both focused, laser focused on cost reduction, synergies uh, and margin improvement.
1: All right. Well, let's go there. Let's talk about uh, commercial uh, aerospace. I have to believe that next quarter, is just going to be plain
0: awful. A solid first quarter. I think commercial aftermarket was up 4% at Brett Whitney, 3% at Rockwell Collins. And that was in spite of the headwinds that you had on the 737 Max, not flying, and some other things at Collins. So a solid first quarter. And if we think about like inductions into our overhaul shops, just to give you an example, we typically get 80 to 100 engines in a month takes About 90 days to overhaul those, and we generate revenue as, as we overhaul the engines. Uh, for the month of April, that was 24 engines instead of the normal 80 to 100. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. On the Collins side, repair you know, we repair many of the things around the world in our repair shops. That was input was down about 55 percent. So, uh, this is going to be a tough quarter on commercial aero. I think the good news is we, we do see some light at the end of the tunnel as we've spoken to the airlines. they're starting to see some bookings out in the summer months and in the fall start to pick up. So we think, you know, you'll see a recovery, but clearly Q2 is going to be very tough.
3: Yeah, it's, I would imagine, and Greg, it's David, a slow, a slow recovery. I I wanted to uh, go back to your comments about sort of the factory floor, the 100,000 employees you have coming in every day, um, outfitting them in PPE, as you said. But what about the efficiency of their work? How do you socially distance when you're building an engine? And if you are, does that impact their ability to actually make that engine more quickly?
0: Yeah, David, it's a good question. So what we have been doing, uh, and again, engines are, are a little bit different because you know, they, they, they go through a, a production line, but usually there's one technician working on an engine that simply moves along the line. Um, so it's not as difficult to socially distance on the engine line, uh, more difficult in some of our facilities where we're doing mass production of overhaul uh, turbine blades, for instance, where you've got 500 people in a, in a factory. What we've had to do there is uh, we stagger shifts. So we've got some people coming in first shift. We've added second, third shifts. Uh, we have weekend shifts. So we're trying to, where we can't socially distance, we're trying to stretch out the, the work week, if you will, to try and accommodate those people um, you know, we've we've got our own mask manufacturing set up in Malaysia and another factory uh, here in the U.S. We're making about a hundred thousand masks a day for our folks. Um, we've been a, done a pretty good job of sourcing PPE, but at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure we were self-sufficient. Um, you know, we've got temperature scans. Every every employee that comes in today is getting their their, their temperature checked. Um, and we're we'll look at some testing we'll, once these antibody tests have been. Uh, sorted out. Uh, we'll probably be testing employees on a regular basis for, for the antibody. So it's difficult. There's additional cost. I think uh, we mentioned on the earnings call this morning probably about eight to ten cents of headwind, maybe a couple of hundred million dollars of additional cost because of this. And that's not accounting the inefficiencies. So um, this is uh, this. It's expensive. But at the end of the day, you've got to support the customer. We've got to do this work. We've got to deliver uh, to keep. Uh, the warfighters safe and to keep these airplanes flying.
3: Right. Um, you know, which comes back to the larger picture, of course, part of the, uh, the reason. Well, part of the promise to shareholders of this deal was significant returns of capital to those shareholders. You're putting that off a bit right now, aren't you? I mean, I believe you, you know, the 18 to 20 billion you've talked about last June, uh, you're now saying is going to take place over four years versus three years. Why?
0: Why? Um, well, because revenue passenger traffic's 95% to, to lower than what it was last June. Look, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, we, we came into this merger with about eight and a half billion dollars of cash on the balance sheet. Uh, we've got about 25 billion dollars of debt. We're in a solid position from a liquidity standpoint. Um, we took the board through this a week ago before we declared the dividend. Uh, we take the dividend to $1.90 a share. Uh, that's up significantly from the old Raytheon dividend, but like 18% or so. Um, and as we had the conversation with the board, we went through a lot of different scenarios and said, how bad can it be? And even in the worst case scenario that we put forth, we still had adequate liquidity to fund the dividend for the next three years. There is just so much unknown out there. I could not possibly recommend to the board to do share buybacks this year. Um, we still see you know, good cash generation over the long term. But I think our commercial aero businesses uh, for this year, where we had expected about three billion dollars of positive cash flow, will essentially be break even from a cash flow standpoint. So um, that'll recover over the next couple of years. It'll give it put us in a position to do share buyback. We've also got obviously a lot of opportunity on the balance sheet if we want to borrow money. But in this environment, borrowing to do share buyback just doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. So uh, we're going to keep our powder dry and we're going to look for opportunities and. Uh, if the stock continues to lag under intrinsic value, that will be in the market, but it won't be this year. So, Greg, uh,
1: how about uh, China and China aerospace? How, how's that looking?
0: You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Jim. We, we obviously saw the same thing in China that we've seen in the U.S. Uh, that happened, of course, in January and February. Uh, today, we've actually started to see a recovery. If you think about the global fleet, there's about 30,000 aircraft out there today. Uh, 55% of them are parked. Um, about about 40% of the parked aircraft are actually COVID related. The beginning of the year is about 15% parked. If you look at China today, three months in, their parked fleet is only about 20%. So we have started to see a return uh, of passengers uh, in, in China itself. Uh, of course, we have not yet seen the international traffic return, and that may be some time. But I think it, it, it's heartening as you see China as a reflection uh, of the U.S. economy. You know, China is the second biggest uh, passenger market after the U.S. And I think the dynamics we see in China will probably play out here in the U.S.
2: Greg, it's Carl. I just had one quick question on the balance between dividends and, uh, and layoffs or furloughs. Do you expect companies to have trouble optically maintaining a dividend when they're letting people go?
0: You know, Carl, that's a that is a question that we wrestled with, because obviously when you're making tough decisions on employment, having to furlough people, having to reduce people's salaries. You know, we took a a furlough across or a 10 percent cut in pay for all of the corporate folks. Um, we took it and all the folks on the commercial aero side are going to be furloughing people as, a, as the volumes decline. At the same time, I think that we've got an obligation to our investors to. Um, Uh, many of whom are our own employees, to continue to pay a dividend. Now, we didn't take the dividend up a lot. I think it was like 1% from a UTX adjusted basis. But we thought it important that we we signal the strength of the business and the strength of our liquidity in spite of these very difficult times. What I've told employees is we're going to try and save as many jobs as possible. As we reduce spending on the commercial side, we've got a couple of thousand openings for engineers on the legacy defense side. So we're moving folks over. Uh, We're moving production um, from the legacy uh, Raytheon business uh, to some of our facilities out in Cedar Rapids. So we're going to do everything we can to maintain employment. Having said that, we know that there are going to be furloughs. There's going to be layoffs as volume goes down. But at the same time, I think it's important to signal the fact that we still believe in long-term value of the stock. And we won't won't buy back stock. We will support it with the Mm -hmm. dividend.
1: All right. So, Greg, just overall, because you're a terrific businessman that had... Also insight, obviously, into Otis uh, and into climate control companies. Is there any chance that you think that we may have bottomed, the country may have bottomed in the month of April?
0: Well, certainly from a, a commercial aerospace, I think you know you can't get much worse than down 95 percent. If you look at TSA uh, traffic, I think it's down to about 150,000 people a day going through the TSA turnstiles versus about 2.3 to 2.7 million on a, on, a, on a regular basis. So I would think that that has bottomed. We, we've heard anecdotally um, that you're gonna probably um, see some some pickup here in, in May and June as you get to the summer season. And the fact is people can only binge on, on Netflix for so long. Um, and Zoom is fun, but you can't experience the Eiffel Tower from a Zoom meeting. And you can't take your kids to Disneyland on Zoom. So people look it back. They, they will start flying again, they will recover. And I think April is obviously from a, from a revenue passenger standpoint, low. Now, that'll play out for us in, in aerospace and the aftermarket over the next probably six months or so, and probably then see a recovery. I think the, the, the bigger concern or the bigger issue is going to be on the OE side, where today you've got Boeing and Airbus cutting production, but frankly, nobody needs any new aircraft while you've got 55% of the world's fleet parked. And so I think you know, that's going to take a little bit longer to recover. You've got to take these parked aircraft put them back in service, and then you'll start seeing demand on the OE side. And I would tell you, it's the same in, in, in most of our other business. I know legacy Otis is, is probably as recession resistant of businesses there are, given their very strong service business. And I think Judy Marks will be on a call later today and she'll talk about that. Um, you know, they made it very well through the 09 uh, financial crisis. Um, Carrier, again, they'll probably, they saw an impact in the first quarter. Dave Gitlin will be on tomorrow to talk about that. Um, but I think, again, the, the the recovery will happen. Um, but the ultimate, the, the, the bad, bad news is, is is the month of April. And I think everything will get better from there, assuming we don't have a big resurgence in the number of cases and hospitalizations.
1: All right. Well, that's excellent. Uh, and I got to tell you, Greg, I think that may be one of the reasons why we're having such a good rally over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we just heard from Greg Hayes, who's the new CEO of Raytheon Technologies. It's always uh, great to have you. Thank
0: you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks,
2: Greg. Jim, your point's a good one on the rally. Uh, NASDAQ is now green for the year. Dow's eyeing 24K. S&P 2890 here. Oil's trying to hold 26. We're back in just a moment. Jim, you got a packed show tonight.
1: Yeah, three of the hottest uh, stocks in the market. We've got Etsy. We have Square. And get this, uh, we have Norwegian Cruise. I mean, they're not afraid to talk. They just did that gigantic deal. Frank Del Rio wants to come on and talk. I cannot wait to do so. Guys, fabulous show. Fabulous.
2: Really good, Jim. We got, we, yeah, I chopped a lot of good wood today. I, really quick, we got, uh, just, we got a minute here. Uh, what do the Bulls need to do to prove they have the ball here uh, as we once again rotate around 24K, 2890?
1: Uh, well, we need to see uh, that there be some uh, widening of the rally here. Uh, maybe it's not just for retail. It's not just Amazon, Target and Walmart. Uh, for restaurants, maybe we start getting Darden and McDonald's to move. Uh, we would love to see anything, any, any any pulse in the actual industrial market. I think Raytheon might be giving you that. Uh, and then I think we're okay. I think Case may be right. I think April, just because it was so awful, may be a trough. So finally, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I know it's dangerous. Take my life with my own hands. Maybe the airlines can rally. Wow. I said it. I said it.
2: <laughs> mm. uh, hey, you know, Boeing's uh, the uh, top-down component for the moment, Jim, so it, it does make sense thematically with what we're seeing here in the first hour. I've we'll just, see it tonight. Uh, yeah, just money, wondered, of course.
1: Boeing's $25 billion may have been the bottom, Did they got that $25 billion. I think people felt they were going to have to be bailed out. There was no bailout. It's big. It's big, big, big. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.